time is talks, and uh, I've been giving yet another opportunity to um, to have you guys kind of take a peep into my own soul searching period. So what you may hear this morning is a fruit of many hours of sitting and mulling over certain issues. I'm not very good at tackling messages, but I felt that I ought to give this a title because, um, but for my own sake, and for those of you who have the opportunity to take notes, we don't seem to take notes anymore. Ever since technology came in, eh? we can get it on podcast. <laughs> but um, I felt like calling this um, the hidden soldier. I mean, if you felt this morning that it was a bit military in tone. And funny enough, I never had a chat with the worship team, but I felt very militant this morning. Felt like a soldier. And um, I recall watching a movie where soldiers were asked to, uh, to swear in an oath of allegiance. And um, it's quite a very emotional thing, you know. How many of you know any soldiers? in your family or friends. I've got a, a cousin of mine that's a, a, a top-ranking soldier in Nigeria. He's a general. Scary, eh? General. But he's probably in his early 50s. But that oath is such a powerful thing that it, when a soldier takes it, it it's, there's something that happens in their minds and it's a psychological thing. But I love the look of, of joy, of, of pride, but also mixed with trepidation. Because that oath automatically says you have lost the right to yourself. You no longer own yourself, you belong to the state. The American version, I love the American version because it's got an, kind of an oomph to it. It says, I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear truth, true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations and the uniform code of military justice. So help me God. And they say this, and this, the parents of the, of the, the, the they're always very young, of a youngster that is taking this oath, there's so much pride in them. Because, frankly speaking, in as much as we hate war, there is an admiration and sort of a, a sense of identification that we have with, with soldiers. Because what they do is not common. And a lot of them have gone ahead and done great things. I don't like war. I think war is... It's men just trying to flex their muscles. If, women rule, if more women rule the world, I don't think we'll have lots of wars. <laughs> you know? But, looking back at the oath of allegiance, I keep going back to Galatians 6.20. So if you have your Bible here, can you please turn to Galatians 6.20? Well, I'll give you about a few minutes for people to find it, especially in your phones. How technology has helped us. Eh? So, Galatians 
it's Paul declaring what happens when we become Christians. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. To me, that, there's nothing that signifies an oath of allegiance like this. It means that we've transferred ownership. We've transferred kingdoms. Just, I no longer live. That means your old life is dead. But Christ lives in me. So what does this mean? It means that we no longer belong to ourselves. Christ owns us hook, line, and sinker. What joy, isn't it? Isn't that amazing to know that when you became a Christian, you lost every right to what you had in the past. Every right to who you were in the past. But the question I keep asking is, that is a call. That is a mighty, mighty, awesome call upon our lives. So if you're a Christian today, if you're born again, if you're saved, this applies to you. Your life is no longer yours. You have been called. But the question I keep asking is, to what then are we called? And this is where my, my work becomes a bit dodgy. Because sometimes we lose sight of that which we're called to. So what, where are we called? Peter said that we, we've been set apart. Why were we set apart? For what purpose? But this is what I believe. This is my own, as I mold over it, this is my own take on the reason for that particular verse that Paul wrote. Because that means that you are completely separate from what you were before. For what purpose? Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, if you could please turn to that place. Now, Ephesians 6.10, for me, is one of the most scary Bible verses that I've read. It's scary because it gives truth to the reason for which we are called. And Paul says that, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, the devil. For our war, our battle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That is why we were called. And I, I was so blessed this morning when Becky and the worship team sang that song, Stand, I Stand. We've been called to stand. I was looking at the meaning of the word wiles of the, of the devil. And wiles is actually a word that signifies deception, trickery. So the devil is not a common enemy. He is a well-organized, well-prepared enemy. He does not come like a normal enemy. He doesn't confront you face to face. 
But it comes from the sides. It comes from every way that you don't actually look. So God is calling us to stand. And we stand because there is a battle taking place. Why? Why this battle? Why are we fighting? What is the battle about? And for many years I've been a Christian. I sometimes lose sight of the fact that I, we are in a battle. And I become complacent. And I relax my guard. And that armor sometimes slips. And there are chinks, there are holes, there are gaps. And the devil does get through. And he does do damage. But Paul is saying here that if we are to stand, we constantly need the armor of God. And one thing that I do understand in terms of the reason why we fight, because some people say, um, if God is all-powerful, if God is almighty, why do we as Christians have to fight? Why can't things just be made easy for us? But we seem to forget that God has no interference in the things of men, in the things of the flesh. He does not interfere, but he needs you and me. We are his army. We are those that he's called to do the work that Christ has started. So, why the war? The war is where we end up. It's about where we end up. Each of us. And not just those of us here, but those of us that are out in the world. Where do we end up? Either with the devil or with Christ in heaven. I know this kind of message is, is quite, it's not always common because you don't hear from the pulpit a lot. Most people, we always want to hear a message that has to do with life and living. But it's often times that, sometimes that we need to hear that there is a life after this. When this ends, there is something that happens. In fact, I wish I had a rope to show you what it's like. Like an inch, an inch of time compared to eons of eternity. This life is an inch of time. And eternity is stretches forever. So what happens now impacts what happens at that end. So, and that is why we fight. We fight not just for our souls. We fight for the souls of those that God has called us to. There are men and women, people that God has put in your path to impact. And that is why you're called. You fight for them, your children, your brothers and sisters, your family members. That's why we fight. That song, I Stand, talks about surrendering. If we do swear an oath of allegiance, it's about surrendering. It's like saying, I no longer own myself. I am no longer my own. And that is such a scary thing. It's like you're standing at the edge of a cliff and, you're, and God is saying, jump. And you keep thinking, will you catch me? Will you catch me if I jump? See, we're not called to live at the edge. We're called to step off the edge. Because that is where God is to be found. And when we jump off the fence, I promise you one thing. That whether you fall to, the, to your death or whether God catches you, it's irrelevant. The most important thing is jump. Because that is what God is calling you to. 
So today, will you obey that call? Will you put fear aside and take God at his word and allow him to show you that he is truly the Almighty? And the Bible says also, I can't remember the verse, that underneath you are his everlasting arms. I promise you one thing, you will not fall to your death. He will catch you. He's caught me a couple of times. Amen. So, as we constantly look back to our lives, to those of you who mourn over things that has happened in the past, and sometimes to those of some of few of us who actually think about the future, you keep asking, I keep asking myself, am I close to the things that God has called me to? Or am I slowly drifting towards the periphery? Am I a soldier in hiding? Have I covered my uniform, my armor, with civilian clothes? So that, you know, we can, nobody can see it. But one thing I do believe is this. We are not called to a clandestine Christianity. No, like we are spies for God. We are not. Our calling is to the open. Christ said, what I spoke to you in secret, I want you to proclaim from the rooftop. So you're not called to a, a hidden, you know, you know those tiny Bibles that people carry, they put in the pocket, you know, actually see that they're carrying a Bible. So you don't know that they're Christians. And to you students, you know, the ones that you're kind of a bit worried about your friends knowing that you're, you're a Christian because you don't, you're not sure whether they will accept you, you know, or whether they will kind of push you aside and say, look, get out of my side, you Bible-carrying Christian. Or whether they will poke fun at you, ridicule you, make you feel unwanted. And so, I do believe this, that Christianity is not a cult. It's not a secret cult. It's an open face-to-face, not in your face, but face-to-face encounter with the enemy. We are called to stand and be counted for God. Not to hide who we are. Not to behave like a civilian in a military situation, in a battlefront. But to be who we are. Throw off your civilian clothes. Let people see your armor shine. Like Moses. When he came out of the presence of God, the Bible said that his face was glowing. But there was also an addition to that verse that said that it was fading, a fading glory. How bad must Moses have felt, you know? That, that, that which he took from the presence of God fades with time. As he moved, the farther he was away from the presence of God, the faster the glory of God faded. And that kind of gave me an impression where we ought to be. Where should we be found? Not in the background, in the, in the periphery, or on the fence, but in the presence of God. That's where he's calling us to. So, another thing that scares me, not scares me in a bad way, but scares me in a way that I ask God for courage every day, is when I count the cost. The cost of what I believe. The cost of my faith. Now, I know you guys believe that the, the past is often very attractive when the future is uncertain. You know, 
My students don't like when I, when I want to talk about, oh, in the good old days. They're like, but, sir, come on, life is better now. I said, no, in the good old days. We always sometimes read to the past because those are times when we kind of felt that things were better. But it's not true. It's not true because when we look at what God has saved us out of, think of what you were, we were, what you were taken out of darkness. You were forcibly ripped out of darkness into the glorious light of God. Think about that. What we are saved out of can never be compared to what we are saved into. So as Christians, we've got to constantly look to the future. Paul says, I, I can't remember that verse, he talks about um, forgetting what is behind. I press on towards the mark of a prize. I mean, if you have seen Usain Bolt run, you know, that guy has a trick. He presses, the last 20 meters, he presses like his life depends on it. And you can see him take off. And we are called to press in. Not constantly look back. Now, if you turn with me to Luke 9, uh, verse 62, please. Luke 9, verse 62. Now, this verse is about people that Christ had called. Now, remember, we are all called, every single one of us. But a couple of people were called, and these are some of the excuses that they gave. Christ said, come, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Get into the battlefront. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of times we hear the words of Christ and we think maybe he means something else. He doesn't. His words are literally what he says. And I kept thinking about, why? What's the big deal about a plow and looking back? And I, it kind of occurred to me that those of you that live, that have seen plows or people that uh, plow the land, I'm from, uh, from West Africa where we don't use plows. We, we are manual guys. We use our hands and we dig, the, you know, kind of make ridges with a hole. But uh, people from the Middle East, they use, they attach a metal um, iron grip to a, a horse or a cow. And that pulls the grip into the ground and it makes the ridges. And the thing is, when you look back while you're plowing, what happens to your plow line? It begins to, to make funny shapes. And the animal begins to deviate in different directions. You've got to hold the plow down forcefully for it to actually cut the groove down. And Christ used such a powerful picture to describe what it feels like. For a Christian who's been called out of darkness, you constantly keep looking back to that which you've been saved out of. Your life will walk in a different direction if you constantly look back. We are called to look forward constantly towards the mark of a price, 
towards Christ our Savior. And for me, I keep thinking about, it's not about us. It's not about what we have earned or what we have done. But the cost is about Christ. Can you imagine what it cost him to buy you back twice? Because he did make you in the beginning, so he owned you. But the second time, what it cost him to get you back? It cost him everything. Everything. It cost him his life. It cost him reunion with the Father. It cost him having to, uh, to... Because the Bible says that God and sin cannot... There's no relationship with God and sin. But Christ had to endure that for you. But guess what? You are worth every inch of blood that Christ shed. Amen. You are worth it. Why? Because that is God's plan. That is his, that is his greatest desire. It's you. Can you imagine that? The Father's greatest desire is you. Relationship with you. Union with you. A time spent with you. Wow. I, I personally find it very, very amazing to think that somebody could pay that kind of price for me. And, and all he asked me to do is to stand. And that's actually the, the wonderful thing about salvation and about God is that he's not asking you to do what is impossible or what is difficult. Even though, yes, in the eyes of the world, it might seem difficult. But when you think about what was given up for you, you understand that it's, it's not difficult. Because think about it. Could you, what could you risk? What would you give up for the kingdom of God? You all know the stories of the people that came to ask him about, oh, what do I need to do before I, I, I can enter the kingdom of God? The things that he told them, uh, the guy he told, okay, you're, you're a good man, you've done all the good things, but go and sell all your properties and give it to the poor. And of course, being God, he knew what was in the young man's heart, and that was very painful for the young man. But for every single one of us, there's a price to pay. And the question is, what would you give up? What would you endure for the kingdom of God? Isolation, like the students, because you could be isolated because of your faith. Persecution, it's happening every day. Or death. I personally find that this question, no matter how we answer it now, would not really matter that much. It's when we are in that situation, that is when it counts. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have been following the, um, the, the Kenyan situation where um, some people walked into a, a mall and, and, and shut down so many people just randomly like that. But what came out of that situation was that before they began to shoot people, they actually asked them to quote verses from a holy book. And people that couldn't were mauled on the, on the ground. And that, for me, that rings of Bible times. 
Because Bible, Christ did talk about things like this. There'll be a time when you will be demanded to declare your faith. Would you, would you stand for Christ? Would you agree to be the only one, even if you're the only person on earth that believed in Christ, would you stand for him? Or would you prefer to go with the crowd? I know there's this joke about uh, a church where some armed men walked into the church and they said, okay, they're going to be shooting people alphabetically. And what happened? Everybody's name began with Z. <laughs> Zephanios and uh, Zonos and Zozonios. <laughs> so, what would you do if faced with that choice? And it's a question I keep asking myself, but the thing is, it's when we are in that situation, that is when it counts. And all those people in that mall, I can promise you that 10 minutes before those people walked in, they did not have any inkling. They never thought about, oh, will I, be, will I really believe in Christ or not? Will I be able to stand up for Christ or not? They never asked. They never even thought about it. But God puts us in situations that will actually give us opportunities to either stand for him or not. At work, at school, with our family members. But one thing that I find amazing, I know some people will say, um, uh, it's too difficult. It's hard. It's not, it's not right for anybody to be asked that. But I keep thinking about Acts 17. Can you please turn to Acts 17, 28? And this is Paul writing about, about God and what is what because we've been called, isn't it? We're soldiers of Christ. We've been asked to put on this armor. And there's a battle going on. But this verse gives us the clue to how that battle is to be won. It says for in him we live and move and have our being. Wow. Isn't that awesome? That in Christ we live and move and have our being. That, that to me, this ends it all. This makes it bearable. This makes it possible. Because in Christ we have the power to do all things. So, God is not saying, go into the battlefront and fight while I stand and watch what you're going to do. No. What he's saying is, yes, put on your, your armor. Yes, stand. But the power to stand comes from him. The power to fight comes from him. He is the one that empowers you to do the impossible. They, Mo Moses wouldn't have been able to do anything for the kingdom of God or for the children of Israel if not the fact that he was empowered by God. Striking the Red Sea for it to split was the power of God. And I can promise you one thing. If God brings you to it, he will get you through it. He brought the children of Israel to that particular Dead Sea. He took them through it. You have in you. And that is the fantastic thing about being Christians. 
we have in us the same power that crafted the universe. Bible says that God spoke and all things came into being. The word of God is the power of God. The Holy Spirit lives in the power of God. He spoke and all things came into being. You, inside of you lies such power. And all God is saying is, you know who you are. Throw off those civilian clothes and stand. But some people say that, I'm sure you must have heard it before, that a chain is stronger than the weakest link. But if we've been called to stand shoulder to shoulder with our fellow Christians and, and, and battle, wherever there is a weakness, the devil gets through. It's painful, but it happens. And the devil gets through and it does damage. But if we truly believe this, if we truly believe that God in us lives the Spirit of God. He says, he says, in Him we live and move. That means He empowers you even to move. And the being of God, we are created and crafted in His image. This morning, I didn't come here to tell you what you haven't heard before or to throw Bible verses at you. What I came here to do is to reminisce with you of past great things that God has done in our lives, but also to look to the future with you, where God actually wants us to look. See, when our life is kind of drawn away from the things of God and we begin to drifts towards that periphery. The light becomes, or light becomes weaker the farther away you move from it. And the farther away you are from the light, shadows become more because light dispels as strong as the light can shine. And so, when you sit by the periphery, what you get are just shadows. And it's, it's dark by the periphery. That's why the enemy, the devil, sneaks in and he pulls and snatches people from the periphery. But God is asking us to march into the presence of God. You have the power to. The blood of Christ has bought that power for you. The blood of Christ has opened and torn the veil that prevents you from coming before God. You are covered in glory. And all you need to do is come before him. He's not asking you to um, to use your own power. The Bible says in, in, that it is not by power nor by might. It is by the Spirit of God. So this morning, I hope that and I pray that your heart kind of goes back to wonderful times. You know, those times when, I don't know if, about you, but I know I've had such times. When God, I was, I'll be so on fire for God. Just the name of Jesus sparked something in my heart, you know? It, it's, it's just almost like joy you can taste. You want to be anywhere where Christ is preached, you want to be there. I went to, um, uh, I went to a council office. Uh, like you can see my t-shirt, uh, Um I'd done some work for the Luton Council 
on anti-bullying, kind of twisted around and, and said, look, you don't have to bash them on the head, just love them. And they would, when they know love, then they'll stop bullying. And while I was there, I heard worship song upstairs. I was like, wow, what's happening here? So I asked the guy, and he goes, oh, there's a fellowship upstairs. And that kind of gave me such joy. Because I didn't know that, you know, that they did such things. So I went upstairs and I worshipped to them for, for 20 minutes. And, and I went away feeling completely overjoyed. And I know you have had such times. And this morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit gently brings us to that place again where we can not, not reminisce on the past, but where we can look to the future, where God is calling every one of us. Now, you know, in the military, they have different divisions. They have the infantry, they have the, uh, I don't know what they call the foot soldiers, and they have the uh, armored guys, the Navy, the Air Force. They're all different parts of military. Same thing with the church. We have different parts in the church. We have people with diverse gifts, wonderful gifts. And amongst us here, there are those gifts. And God is asking, would you use that gift for his kingdom? Would you use that gift to break down the gates of hell and take back all that the devil has taken? And that call is to you and it is to me. And so, in closing... My prayer this morning is that we remember our call again, but not to count the cost, but to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that empowers us. He is the one that has given us the mandate. He said, go. And our job is to do exactly that, to go. Be it go to your Family, some people go to another nation. Some go to, even when you're on the internet, go. On Facebook, go. Because God is calling us to impact the nations. And wherever your influence is, let that influence be the kingdom of God. Salvation. And Jesus is Lord. And he is coming again. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a meek and gentle soul. He's coming back as a general. He's coming back to take a church that is ready. The army that he has left on earth. You and me. So shall we rise? Let's stand and... If you feel like you need to respond to this message, and you feel like God is calling you to, to that place, to the presence of God, where the light of his countenance will completely decimate all that is not of him in you. If I have offended anybody this morning, please forgive me. It's not my intention. But I felt that this is what God has put in my heart to share with you.